Father, again, we just thank you and praise you for who you are and what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. Thank you that we can come together and sing your praises and uh, exalt your name. And Father, as we look into your word, I pray you prepare our hearts to receive it as you desire so that we would be changed, that we'd become more and more like your son, Jesus, every day until we see him face to face. Father, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you now. In your son's precious name, amen. Well, if you've been a Christian for very long, or you've visited different churches or denominations, you understand there's a lot of different views out in so-called Christendom about how God speaks. You might go to one church and they're going to say, I have a word from God for you. The Lord has told me this. You might even know believers say, hey, the Lord told me this about you. The Lord told me that we should, you know, you might hear things like that. You might hear that, hey, I had a dream about something like this, and I think God is talking to us. You might hear a lot of different things. We had a person in our uh, old church who had, uh, through some dreams, felt that God had told her she was a teacher. And guess what? That person kept focusing on that. Well, was that God speaking to her? Was it the pizza? We don't know. But what we're going to look at today is how God truly speaks. Not from my opinion or your opinion, but from God's word. Because there are a lot of believers, and some believers, some non-believers, make-believers, who are listening to voices that are not the Lord's. And they're being led astray by those who would claim to have a word from God or whatever it might be. But yet, as we're going to see, God is very clear concerning how he speaks to us today. So you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're beginning our time of looking towards Christmas as we focus on today, what child is this? We're going to see from Hebrews 1 who this child really is, really was and is now. We're also going to see how God speaks today. And this will be helpful to come alongside those who may be led astray because it gets so ingrained in them when they start having experiential knowledge of God and they don't want to hear the word basically even though they'll say I believe it, but they seem to defer to those experiences or whatever it might be rather than the truth. And so we need to be able to share the truth for their sakes that they might be set free, but also for our sakes that we would not be taken captive. Again, Hebrews chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Now, the the writer of Hebrews is unknown, uh, but we do know that it was written by the Spirit, a man inspired by the Spirit of God. We don't know the exact author, but we know God wrote it through a man. He inspired by his Spirit through men. And it was written sometime between 33 A.D. and 70 A.D., sometime after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and before the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, who was it written to? Well, specifically, it was written exclusively to Jews who were being persecuted and were in need of endurance. Now, we don't know the exact location of where these Hebrews were, but we do know in Hebrews chapter 2 that they apparently had been evangelized by the apostles and prophets sometime after Christ's ascension. We know the author states in chapter 13, verse 22, that this is a word of exhortation. Now, that would be kind of synonymous for a Jewish sermon that you would see in a synagogue. Uh, we see it in Acts chapter 13, verse 15. 
Now, this word of exhortation has a Christological focus, has a Christ focus with exhortations and warnings woven throughout. Now, it's apparent that there was a group within the group that it's written to who had a said faith in Jesus, but were tempted to turn away from the only Savior back to Judaism, to apostatize, not that they had accepted Christ, but they had, they'd known about him, they had seen the truth and, and understood the truth, but they were ready to turn away from that. And so we have multiple warnings throughout this book to warn them not to turn away from the only one who can save them. Now, this was not written to prove that Christianity is superior to Judaism. It was written to prove that Christ and his new covenant is superior to the old covenant, which was a type and shadow of what would be fulfilled in the new covenant in Christ. Now, in the beginning of this book, in the portion that we're in, actually, after this introduction, uh, we see that the author is proving that Jesus is superior to angels, the, the messengers of the old covenant, and then he is superior to Moses, the apostle of the Old Covenant. Then he is a superior high priest who mediates a superior covenant based on a superior once-for-all sacrifice, which has brought eternal redemption and forgiveness of sins and access to God. Now, the main theme of this book is actually revealed in these first three verses, which we will see. And it is sealed back in bookends in chapter 12, verse 25, where we are exhorted to see to it that you listen to him, that you don't refuse who is speaking. We need to listen to him. It's all about listening to Jesus through his word, through his word. We need to listen to him because there's no other way to have a relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, God who took on human flesh and bore our sins in his body on the cross. So then, as we enter this time of getting close to Christmas, I felt it would be a blessing for us to look at, again, uh, what child is this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had become, when he had made purification of sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they now we're just gonna look at the first three verses the fourth verse there seems to bring it into the case that's being made for this first section that jesus is greater than angels in that context now we're going to see two things today we're going to see how god spoke previously and by the way the hucksters take all those previous methods and they try to apply them today and that's how they trick people that's how they deceive people by the way but god is clear that he speaks now as we'll see in a certain way, how he spoke previously, and we're going to see how he speaks today from his word, from his word. Verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Now, what's the subject here? Notice right away, it's about God. God, it's about God. The first word, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers. When you come to Scripture, we need to come to Scripture to look for the right thing. So often we come to look for us. 
We come to look for us. We look for our solution to our problems. But what we don't realize is that God is the solution to our problems. We need to see things from his perspective. We need to come to the word of God to see him and to hear from him. That's really what we need to do. We are not the main subject. Scripture is primarily about the Lord. That's what it is. And then how, what he does and what he's done for us. It's about God. It's about God. Now, if you get that right, that'll help you in your interpretation of a lot of things, by the way, if you get that right. So here, notice what our text says. God, after he spoke. Notice again, it's speaking of God. And here it says, after he spoke, it's in an aorist participle. What does that mean? You could literally translate it this way. God, after having spoken. It's speaking of a done deal. And it's, but it's not, can't stand on its own. There's going to be a main verb connected to it. We're going to see that. And it goes like this. The structure of our passage is God, after having spoken, then verse two, has spoken. God, after having spoken, has spoken. And he spoke to the fathers and the prophets. He has spoken to us now. We're going to see that. We're going to see that. And notice back in our passage in the verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago. Well, we think long ago was back in the, in the 80s, right? <laughs> long ago is, is a long time. It speaks of in the past, formerly long ago, of olden times. Of olden times. Now notice whom our text says he spoke to. It's very important. He didn't speak to everybody directly. He spoke to the fathers, here we see, in the prophets. First of all, to the fathers. What does that mean? These are the the Jewish ancestors. There are four fathers. God, after he spoke long ago, a long time back, to the fathers... And how did he speak? In the prophets. In the prophets. Or literally you could say, by means of the prophets to the fathers, God having spoken to them long ago. God spoke to Israel in the past, completed action, by means of the prophets. By means of the prophets. And who were the prophets? Simply put, they were God's mouthpieces. They spoke his word. Second Peter one twenty one. but know this first of all. Now, I read a lot of scriptures. Feel free to jot the references down and, and come back and look at them later. Sometimes I'll have you turn to them and read with me, but just jot those references down. Second Peter one twenty. but know this first of all, Peter says, that no prophecy of scripture, that's prophecy of written words. When you see the word scripture in the scriptures, that means written word, graphe, is a matter of one's own interpretation, but for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. So we have these men moved by the Spirit. They spoke from God. Now we see in the Old Testament prophets, they were to announce God's word and turn people from their sin. Nothing's changed now. That's what God's word does right now. We see here, You might remember in Jeremiah 23 when the Lord Jesus is reproving the false prophets. In that reproof, he explains what the true prophets should have been doing. He says in Jeremiah 23, 21, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. 
But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. That's what God's prophets did, announced his word. And we see in the New Testament that uh, there's reference to these prophets speaking of the person of Christ. First Peter 1.10, concerning a tremendous salvation that we have. Go ahead and turn there. First Peter 1.10. First Peter 1.10. Concerning this tremendous salvation we have, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a tremendous salvation. It's, it's an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Tremendous. And as to this salvation, First Peter 1.10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, verse 11, 1 Peter 1, 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And what's interesting, it was revealed to them, notice this, that they were not serving themselves, but you, they're serving us, serving you in the things which have now been announced through those who preach the gospel by, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Things into which angels long, peer over, are so interested to look at, long to look. We know from Acts chapter 10 that Peter, as he shares the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time in that context, he says in verse 43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. They bear witness of Jesus. So, God spoke his word through the prophets. They were his mouthpieces, and he did so long ago to his nation, Israel, to the fathers uh, in the prophets. Now notice, back in our passage, we have some modifying adjectives. I was terrible in English. Now God asked me doing English and Greek here, right? <laughs> uh, he has, we have some adjectives here. We have two modifying adjectives here. He says here, that he did so in many portions and in many ways. He's going to say how God spoke to the fathers in the prophets through many portions and many ways. The term many portions is many parts. That's really what it means. And many parts. Bit by bit, part by part. A lot of them. A lot of bits, a lot of parts. Many times, bit by bit. God has spoken many times, part by part, bit by bit, to the fathers in and through the prophets. Indeed, over a period of 1,500 years, through more than 40 inspired writers, God spoke bit by bit, slowly revealing his truth through the prophets to Israel and now us through the scriptures. That's what we call progressive revelation, where God's revelation, his truth, progressed over time, bit by bit by bit by bit. God slowly and progressively gave one piece of the puzzle after another. Now, during this time of progressive revelation, the bad guys will pull out little pieces and try to apply them wrongly now. We need to see them, how they apply now, based in their right context in the past. So God slowly and progressively gave one piece of the puzzle, one piece after another, in many portions or parts. He didn't give all of his revelation at once. He gave it through the prophets to the fathers in many parts. And then notice he also did it in many ways or many manners, many manners or ways or methods. He did it differently, bit by bit, many times and many ways, various methods and ways. 
Just look throughout the Old Testament and how many different methods or ways God spoke to his people Israel. He spoke to Abraham and Ur and Herod and Canaan. He spoke to Joseph in a dream. He spoke to Jacob in a dream, to Moses in the burning bush and then face to face in Mount Sinai, to the mad prophet Balaam through a donkey, uh, to Joshua face to face with the captains of the Lord's armies, ho- uh, ho- captain of the host of the Lord, sword drawn, to Elijah in a still small voice, to Isaiah in a vision in the temple, to Ezekiel through a grand vision of God on the throne and through him by strange signs and wonders in a sense, to Hosea through his family circumstances, to Amos in a basket of summer fruit. God might convey his message through visions and dreams, through angels, through symbols, through natural events, pillar of fire, smoke, and other means. He could appear in Ur, the Chaldees, and Herod, and Canaan, and Egypt. There was no lack of variety. God spoke in a variety of ways. So now we know and understand he spoke formally to them in the past, and it was given progressively, bit by bit, in many different ways. God is saying, this is how it happened. Now remember, he's speaking to Hebrews. That's who this is written to. He's helping them see the past history of how God revealed himself and then how he reveals himself now. Yet as we see before the incarnation, all of this Old Testament revelation was essentially incomplete. We know this progressive rest of the revelation was moving forward to a point, but more appropriately to a person, the person of Jesus Christ moving to focus on who he was. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he rose from the dead and he was walking on that road to Emmaus, having, having concealed his identity from those dejected disciples who were walking away in Luke 24, he says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Notice it's the prophets, right? It's what they had spoken in the Old Testament. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter to his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Then Luke 24, 44, and he said, And these are my words which I spoke to you while still with you, the things which are written about, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All this revelation pointed to Jesus Christ. All this revelation pointed to what he would do and what God had planned. And so then, God's previously spoke through his prophets bit by bit in various ways. Well, how does he speak today? You could go to a church today and they're going to tell you, hey, I got a word from God. I remember this this terrible show on on the TV where the guy said, I'm getting a word from God. Larry in Nebraska's knee is being healed right now. You know, and I was like, what it was, he's getting a word from God? Is that really what's happening? Did Larry in Nebraska's knee get healed by God or was it a deal? Who knows what that was, right? What I can tell you was that was not God speaking to him. Because what God says in his word is that God, after he spoke long ago, verse one, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. And it's really important we see the nuances of this verse carefully. We see this rightly in verse 2. In verse 2 he says, In these last days, eschatu humeron, the last days, the end days. Eschatos speaks of outermost. 
extreme, outermost in here with the word days, last days. We get our word eschatology, speaking of end times. You say, well, what is he saying here? Is he saying we're in the last days? Yes, he is. We are in the end times. You see, time was moving towards a point where Christ would come and die for our sins. It was a time pointing to the grace of God, which would appear and bring salvation to all men. And now time is moving towards judgment. And those who accept God's grace are delivered from judgment. We're in the last days. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 Speaking of the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown from the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you. He, he appeared for us. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. We, since Christ came and died for our sins, there's, his next coming is in judgment. We are in the last days. This is a day of salvation, but this is the end of days. We are in the last days. And so he says here, in these last days has, and again, it's an aorist tense, completed action, that's really important, not is continuing to, but has spoken to us. And that would speak of these Jewish believers, the Jews who were here, to us, the, those who have been uh, evangelized by the apostles. It's the church, by the way. The church is in the last days. When the church is taken by the Lord and we go into that that last week of years, seven-year tribulation, it's all over at the end of that. Christ is coming in glory. We are in the last days. And so then we have that he has spoken to us, has spoken, completed action to us. That would include us as believers now through the scriptures. He has spoken to us. But again, it is a completed action. It's not. It doesn't say he is speaking to us. He has spoken to us. This is so important. It's so important. It's so important to show people this. If they're willing to hear it, if they're not willing to hear it, don't argue with them. But if God is working on the heart of those who have who have squandered their faith in these terrible churches, who've squandered their relationship with the Lord, and, he, and, and you're there to help them, then share the word with them that they might be set free, that they might confess their sin for listening to other voices. Because God's word says, he has spoken to us. This is great. Before he spoke to the fathers, to Israel, and they were to be a kingdom priest to the world. He spoke to them. Now he's speaking to us, the church. He's speaking to the body of Christ through the word of God. And certainly his word convicts the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness because they don't believe in Jesus. So notice what he says he has spoken to us. And notice this, this is so important. In his son, in his son, all the inferior and incomplete bit by bit, place by place, Old Testament revelation was leading up and focusing to superior revelation through Jesus Christ, his son. As we saw in Luke, Jesus, after his resurrection, revealed that the Old Testament prophets spoke to and pointed to him. It all pointed to him. Now, the writer of Hebrews here says that Jesus, the Son of God here, he'll say it later on, is the completed Word of God. We'll say he's the Son. He's the Son of God. We know in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. The Lord Jesus has exegeted, exegeomai, he has explained God. So God has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son. Christ is the totalitarity, totalitarity, I don't know if that's a word or not, the totality of what God wants us to know about himself. Christ is. It's about Christ, about himself, his will, and us. There's no more revelation to come. We have the completed revelation once for all delivered to the saints. Jude Jude verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt felt the necessity, Jude 3, to write you appealing that you attend, contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered once for all to the saints. The faith is the body of truth that we believe and it was delivered. Contend earnestly for that because certain men have crept in unnoticed, Jude. We know in 1 Corinthians 13, the bad guys like to distort 1 Corinthians. They, they take that one really and that's the one of the ones they use the most, 12 through 14. If you look in Second Peter chapter 3, it says that the bad guys take that, which is hard to understand that Paul writes. It's hard to understand. It's difficult. But they take that and they distort that. They take it out of its context and make it today when that's not the context. And they, oh, they, they omit and then change and twist verses like I'll read for you. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. It's going to say something here that's really important. Now, in the NASB, the words are important the way they're translated here. The New King James kind of obscures it a little bit because we need to see the same words uh, translated the same way. 1 Corinthians 13.8, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. The term means to be overthrown by something superior. Okay, that's what it means, done away. Remember that. If there are tongues, they will cease. That means stop. Okay? And then he says here, if there is knowledge, it will be what? Done away. Done away. Placed by something superior. For we know, this is back in Paul's time, before the completed revelation of the word of God. We know in part, we prophesy. We've got partial revelation at that point. But he says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now that's in a neuter gender. It's not speaking of Jesus coming. It's speaking of the completed word of God, I believe. The partial will be done away. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets and Christ. That's a foundation. Hey, when you build a house, you don't build a foundation and keep building a foundation, keep building a foundation, keep building a foundation. You build a foundation, then you build upon it the house. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. See, all these passages work together in their context to expose the reality of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That God has spoken through his son. It's a completed revelation, but it's to us. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 19, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, as speaking to Ephesians who were Gentiles, and now came to faith in Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Amen. Having been, it's a it's an action that's already done, by the way. It's not saying you are. Having been built upon the foundation of the prophets, of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you're being built up together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us and the apostles brought that forth, we're built on that. We're built on the word of God. In Second Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 20, talks about, and I read it earlier, but know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made of an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from Holy Spirit spoke from God. Then chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Peter, but false prophets arose among the people, that's in the old days, just as there will be false teachers among you. There was prophecy and there were false prophets. Now there is teaching, now there's false teachers, really. That's really what it is. In Paul's final words to Timothy, he writes about the scriptures as being the thing which is adequate to equip us for not a few, but every good work. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture, written word, not somebody speaking out some prophecy from their mouth, phony baloney, baloney stuff inflated from their fleshly minds. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, written word, is inspired by God. God breathed and profitable for teaching, for approval, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It is the scripture that equips us now for everything. We know from 2 Peter chapter 1 that we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have his precious and magnificent promises. It's through the true knowledge of him that we have everything we need, and that is revealed in his word. You can read Second Peter chapter 1. And then we know in Revelation chapter 22 that uh, you better not add anything. You better not add anything. We also know back in uh, Proverbs, you better not add to his words, lest you be proved a liar. That's why I don't like these shows that portray Bible events and they add stuff to it. Not good. Don't add a thing. You better not add a thing. You better not portray something that supposedly happened that didn't happen. You better not. You better have exactly right of what God's word says. Revelation 22. I testify, verse 18, to everyone who hears the words, the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from these words of the book of prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Appropriately, the very last book in our in our scriptures has this warning, don't add or subtract. Don't add or subtract. Besides a brief period of revelation in the day of the Lord where God goes back to Israel, his 70th week, uh, where there will be, um, uh, as we see in Daniel and Acts 2 and Revelation, we see there'll be some revelation there apart from his written word. We know that as God turns back to Israel for that last seven years. Right now, we have the completed word as a church. We have that. There are no more dreams, no more visions, no more revelation. They'll, they'll go to, they'll go to uh, Acts 2, but you got to see it in its context. They'll go, yes, there is. You say, no, there isn't. <laughs> and you share very graciously in its context. Why? 
The revelation is complete. This is to Jews here, by the way. In the last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Back in our passage. We have the completed revelation. And folks, this puts out of business all the false prophets and hucksters who deceptively disguise themselves as servants of Christ, yet pull people's hearts away from the word. They'll talk about the word, but these people, when you talk to them, they say, yes, the word of God, yes, the word. But they don't, they have a higher value to these prophecies and that stuff in their hearts. It's terrible. They focus them on the false and bogus prophecies, visions, and experiences. Do you want to hear a word from God? It is in the word of God alone concerning Christ once for all delivered to the saints. The scriptures now reveal to the full extent what God wants us to know about him, his son, and his will for us. He has spoken to us. You want to hear a word from God? It's in your Bible. It's right there. So let me ask you this. Where do you look to hear from God? Worship experience, music, Christian novel. You know, it's nothing wrong with music that glorifies God. Nothing wrong with a book that glorifies God. But if you're looking for hearing from God, there you have a problem. The reality is he reveals his word in his word. But we're going to have people that come along that do bad things. And uh, Paul would talk about evil men and imposters proceeding from bad to worse. And he would tell Timothy, in light of these bad guys, Timothy, in light of this, and in light of all scripture being profitable for every good work, in light of this, I solemnly charge you something, Timothy. You better do this, Timothy, because of what's going to happen in the future. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 4. You better do this, Timothy, in light of what's going to happen. And if you have pastors and elders that don't do this, they're not, they're not God's men. They're, they're, they're man's men. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Pretty serious deal. Who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Solemnly charge you in light of this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths or stories. Hey, people love the stories. They come in Sunday after Sunday for the stories. A little Bible verse here and there. Sunday after Sunday for the stories. Sunday after Sunday for the stories. Rather than the truth. Preach the word, Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. So then we have the completed word. We have the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We have the completed scriptures. If you want to hear a word from God, go to the word of God. And you will hear from God. Absolutely. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the final word. It is through his son Jesus revealed in the word. We have this here. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. It's through Christ, through his word. Now we're going to see at this point, what child is this? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that he's spoken through? Who is it? Notice he says, first of all, whom he appointed heir of all things. What does this mean? 
What does it mean to be an heir? An heir means one who, who inherits everything, who is the rightful inheritor, who receives those things. What does it mean? Well, we know in Colossians 1.13, by him, speaking of Christ, all things are created, both the heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created for him and by him. Okay, that I, I get that, but wait a second. How is the son appointed heir? I thought he was God the son. Yes, he is. What does this appointed heir mean? Well, what helps us understand this is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had it all. The Lord of lords, King of kings, Lord of lords on the throne, yet be, for, for your sake became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus Christ gave up his heavenly glory. He came down, took on human flesh. This is what Christmas is about. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. But yet he was brought back to his rightful place. He is the heir of all things. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2, after explaining how we should be like-minded and same-minded because of our unity in Christ, how we should be same-minded, he gives the example of Jesus Christ. He says here, Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude, or literally mind, have this thinking, this is the way you should think, in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God humbled himself and took on human flesh. And he died on the cross in obedience to the Father for us. Therefore, God highly exalted him. He was exalted back to his rightful place and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, or literally the name Jesus possesses, that's really what it is, that every knee should bow of those who are in heaven, of on, on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Son, before the incarnation, had rights to all things. After the incarnation, he's appointed heir of all things. What child is this? He has rights to everything. It's all his. It's all his. Therefore, listen to him. It was created for him. And notice, he is the creator of the world. He says, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Now, that, that when I read that, I think of just the earth, okay? It's not the greatest translation. Your NESB gives you a note that says literally ages, plural. Ages. It's a different word. It's not cosmos for world. It's really ionis, which speaks of the ages. It speaks of the reaches of time and space. It's plural. He made it all. He made it all. It's a grand word. The New King James says the world, and that says, not speaking of you know, little worlds here and there. It's the, it's the whole nine yards. What child is this? We see, for by him, Colossians 1.16, all things were created. On, and he says, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. John 1.3, all things came into being by him. And nothing, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
God made everything through his son, Jesus Christ, God the Son. He is the creator of the world. He's the creator of these ages. Therefore, we need to listen to him. You need to listen to him. You need to listen to his word. You need to hear what he has to say. And then notice, being the creator and heir of all things, uh, we're given another great truth, that he is God. Verse 3, And he, speaking of the Son of God, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. You could literally say here, he is, you could literally say it this way, who being, present tense, not past, not done deal, who being, continually, habitually, who being the radiance of his glory, the exact reputation of his nature, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Right now, present tense, he is the radiance or outshining of his glory. We know that when Jesus came to earth, that he was, his glory was manifest. God's glory is manifest in Christ. We know his, it was manifest in his character. I read earlier in Matthew 17 that uh, he was on the mountain and he was transfigured and he shone, he was glory, he was in, in glory. Well, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 17. As you're turning there, I want to read from Exodus. When Moses said, I pray, show me that glory. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass for you. His character. His character. Matthew 17. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. (coughs) Excuse me. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the radiance. He is the outshining of God's glory. God the Son is the outshining of the glory of God. If you want to see the glory of God, look at Jesus Christ. He is the outshining of his glory. Therefore, listen to him. Listen to him. He is the radiance of his glory. If we say, Lord, pray thee, show me thy glory, we're going to look at Jesus. In the word. And that's what we're going to say. And then notice he is the exact representation of his nature. Second half of, uh, or middle of verse three. And who being, who is right now, the exact representation of his nature. The term exact representation, New King James express image, Greek word is character. It speaks of the impression or stamp engraved character or impression made by a die. We see that Christ is the exact representation of his, that's God's nature. What does the word nature mean? Hypostasis, it means essence or substance. What is he saying here? The Lord Jesus is God in essence and substance. He represents him exactly because he is God. The exact representation of his hypostasis, of his essence. 
He's not simply God, the Son of God. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, oh, I believe he's the Son of God. Well, that, they, they speak of that differently. No, he is God's Son. He is God the Son. Okay? He is the Son of God, but yet he is God in human flesh. John 14, he who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. I'm not speaking of modalism where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same. They're not. One God, three persons. But when you see the person of Jesus Christ, you see the nature of God. You see, because he's God the Son. Colossians 1.5 and he is the, 1.15 and he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19 for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John 1.14 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, the Father full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1.8 but of the Son, now all the bad guys, they skipped this verse, I tell you that. But of the Son, he says, Hebrews 1.8, thy throne, O God. He's God. It's forever and ever. The reality is, he is the, the exact representation of his nature. He is God. Therefore, listen to him. Listen to him. God is speaking through his Son, and now we have his word. He's Speaking through Jesus, listen to him. And then notice, he says he also sustains everything. In the end of verse 3, back in our passage, chapter 1, verse 3, Hebrews, and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's pretty amazing. The term upholds, you could speak of literally as a participle. He's upholding continually and habitually. It means to bear or carry. Really to bear. He holds it all up. If I was to pick this pulpit up and carry it, I'd be bearing this pulpit. I'd be carrying it. I'd be holding it. He upholds all things by the word of his dunamis, his power. You see, he speaks and it happens. God said, light be and light was. Genesis 1. Turn to chapter uh, 3 of Second Peter. Chapter 3 of Second Peter. You got the bad guy saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything's the same. You know, you can hear him whining, right? Um, it's nothing's changed. Well, they don't realize God is a gracious God who's not coming in judgment because he's saving people. He's unwilling for any to perish. That's why. That's why. But before that portion, we see something that escapes their notice. That if God spoke and did something in the past, and he's spoken already and saying this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Second Peter 3.3, 3, know this first of all, in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? I won't do the voice this time. Uh, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, that's, this is the falsity speaking of, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at one time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He said, it escapes their notice that God said, and this happened. By his very word, everything was created. And he even brought forth judgment through his word. And he says, but the present heavens and earth are, by his word, being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It's by his word he says it's coming. It hasn't happened but it will happen, because he said it's going to happen. 
And so we have here, he upholds back in our passage everything by the word of his power. He said so, so it all holds together. Jesus holds everything together. Colossians 117, he holds it all together. In him, all things hold together. You know, you're falling apart. He'll hold you together. Let his word knit you together. Let the truth of his word and let his, what he said concerning the truth, uh, keep your heart focused on him so that you will, uh, be held together by Christ. Midst of every difficulty. So, if you've ever studied molecular structures and you look at all this stuff, every atom, every molecule, everything, he's holding it together by the word of his power. He says it and it is. He's all powerful God. Therefore, we need to listen to him. When he says something, we better listen. We better listen. What child is this? The living God, Jesus Christ, creator and sustainer of the world, became a baby? Wow. Listen to him. Now with this in mind, God has given us final and complete revelation. There's salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12 For there is no other name under heaven by which it is given among men that we must be saved. Lastly, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is the only solution to man's problem. Look at the end of verse 3. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our text points out that Jesus Christ made purification for sins. The term purification, katharismos, is directly related, related to the noun katharos, which speaks of being clean or cleansing. It speaks of that which is free from dirt. It speaks of the purity of metals that have been refined. It speaks metaphorically to speak of that which is unadulterated, uh, without mixture, i.e. pure, or that is pure. It speaks of a ritual sense of being clean versus unclean foods, clean or unclean animals or sacrifices. It's used metaphorically to speak of a way of life, a, a, a pure way of life, morally and spiritually, being clean, pure from wrongdoing without sin. And here it's obviously speaking of the cleansing of sins. When he had made purification of sins. You see, this is the issue that confronts all men. Sin. We're defiled by sin. We're defiled. Our hearts and our minds are corrupted and dirty. Our consciences are defiled by sin. We don't think right. We are hardened towards God and his will revealed in his word. We are rebellious. We've sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you think you're pure apart from God, you're deceiving yourself. All the ways of a man seem clean in his own sight, Proverbs 16, 2, but the Lord weighs the motives. Proverbs 30, verse 12, there's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Proverbs twenty nineteen. who can say I've cleansed my heart, I'm pure from sin? No one can say that. You can't cleanse your own heart. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll believe what God says about you, that you're separated from him. Your sin has caused a separation between you and him. But the good news is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus Christ came to take away sins, to purify you and I. You see, he died on the cross. You see, he bore our griefs and our sorrows he carried He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being, Isaiah 53, 5, fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. 
all of us, Isaiah 53, 6, have, like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. Everything you've ever done, what you will do, he is born on the cross. He died for our sins. And when you trust in him, you believe in him, you are cleansed of your sins. We still fail, we mess up, but we confess. But we are cleansed, we are clean. We are cleansed. It says, when he made purification of sins. That's when he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Nothing can be added to that. Jesus did it all. He did it all. We have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.10. 10. He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.12. So what happened is he died for our sins, and then he rose from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we saw this back in Colossians. But the term right hand speaks of a place of authority. It speaks of a place of authority where he is reigning. And it is finished. He sat down. The work is done. The work. All you need to do is come to the Lord Jesus. If you call upon the name of Christ, you will be saved. We know that uh, he appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God appeared. And we know that Christ Jesus, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from early, every lawless deed and purify for us, or for himself, excuse me, a people for his own possession. Purify. We know that when we were saved, it was not on the basis of works which we've done in righteousness, Hebrews, excuse me, Titus 3, 5, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We can be cleansed. When Peter was talking at the Jerusalem Council about the Gentiles who'd been saved, he said God made no distinction between Gentiles and Jews. He said, he said, them and us, cleansing their hearts by faith. You can have your heart cleansed today. You can have your sins washed away. Your conscience clean through faith in Jesus. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What child is this? He is the one who purifies you of your sins. Listen to him. He says you need him. He asks you to repent and believe in him. Believe the gospel. Listen to Jesus. He's on the right hand of the majesty on high after accomplishing the work of redemption. Jesus is Lord in Christ and he died for our sins. So what child is this? Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the heir of all things. And he came, made cleansing for sin. He's now exalted above above all. And he is God's final word to mankind. So are you listening? Are you listening? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he has been revealed in your word and that through him alone we have salvation from sin. And thank you, Lord, that it is through him alone we as believers are able to walk as we've received him so walk, Lord God. And I thank you so much. Thank you for sending him for us. And thank you that he willingly came and died for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.